0: This is Eyewitness News, Up Close, with Bill Witter. Fires from unapproved lithium-ion batteries are becoming an epidemic in New York City. They're now one of the leading causes of fires and fire deaths. Just last week, the FDNY busted an operation that makes and sells the cheaper, dangerous batteries. This morning, we talked to New York City Fire Commissioner Laura Cavanaugh. Also this morning, a major corruption bust. As many as 70 workers in the New York City Housing Authority, NYCHA, are accused of taking bribes in exchange for contracts. It was the largest single-day bribery takedown in the history of the U.S. Department of Justice. This morning, we talked to New York Congressman Richie Torres, who has introduced legislation now to force NYCHA to reveal more information about contracts and contractors. Good morning, everyone. I'm Bill Ritter. Welcome to Up Close. Prosecutors say the NYCHA corruption scandal went on for a decade, starting in 2013. And during that time, they say, the 70 workers took bribes that totaled $2 million, all this in exchange for giving no-bid contracts. Each of those less than $10,000 per job for work like plumbing and building repairs. I asked New York Congressman Richie Torres about the scandal and his push for NYCHA, the nation's biggest public housing program, to be more transparent about these contracts.
1: Well, the scale of the corruption is nothing short of shocking and staggering. Uh, The U.S. Attorney for the Southern District brought charges, extortion and bribery charges against 70 former and present employees of the New York City Housing Authority. As you said, it's the largest number of bribery charges in the history of the DOJ. And I've been an advocate for public housing uh, for more than two decades. It's the worst NYCHA scandal uh, that I've ever seen. You know, one case of bribery or a few cases of bribery can be explained away as outliers, but 70 cases of bribery affecting one-third of all NYCHA properties represents a systemic failure of oversight and management. It represents a culture of corruption at the heart of the New York City Housing Authority.
0: There are more than 2,000 projects in the city, housing, building housing, you know, housing and, and apartments. And so a third of them participated in this you know we do you know this Richie we we do stories all the time and it's they're so sad people without gas people without heat people without running water it's terrible especially in the winter uh, but this is a new stage of terribleness yeah. as far as, as far as the most people are concerned
1: look I th- there's nothing shocking about bribery in the New York City Housing Authority what's shocking is the sheer breath um, you know to know that it is common for NYCHA officials to to shake down contractors is astonishing to me. I mean, there were 70 former and present employees who received over $2 million in kickbacks in exchange for steering more than $13 million in contracts to favored vendors. And since 2019, I've been sounding the alarm about no-bid contracting in public housing. Yeah, uh, there are there's a special category of contracts known as micro contracts, which is exempt from
0: competitive bidding. And that means and what? So a superintendent. That means what so there's a there's a there's a cap of how much the project is worth.
1: Yeah. So the threshold for a micro contract is ten thousand dollars. OK. And so if a contract is below ten thousand, it is exempt from the normal rules of competitive bidding. So a superintendent could easily structure a contract just below ten thousand dollars in order to escape the competitive bidding requirements and can easily steer the contract toward a family member or a friend or preferred vendor. You know, I have described micro-contracting as a breeding ground for influence peddling and corruption. Right,
0: and so, as far as I know, the contractors were not charged, at least not yet, right?
1: Uh, the employees have been charged, right. but yeah, we're awaiting charges against the contractors.
0: You think that will come?
1: Uh, it should come. I right. mean, if if, if yeah. I, I think both the employees and the contractors should be held accountable for engaging in bribery and extortion.
0: Okay, and so you're pushing a bill right now just to, to put a cap on this. You're pushing bills right now, a bill right now that will make these contracts have to go out for bid. Doesn't matter what the cost is.
1: Well, not quite. So th- there is a there is a need for no bid contracts because if there's an emergency right superintendents need the flexibility to respond to those emergencies without going through weeks and months of procurement so there is a need for them the, the problem is a lack of transparency and so i'm introducing legislation that would require the disclosure of all contracts including no bid contracts got it you know historically these contracts have never been disclosed and therefore can easily fly under the radar and anything that exists in secrecy is much more susceptible to fraud abuse and corruption.
0: Well, fingers crossed that your bill does something to stop this from happening again. Uh, Congressman Torres, thank you for that. Let me me talk some other things that are happening, and I know you have some positions on this. Uh, It's been quite a week and two weeks in uh, your House of Representatives in Washington. A new border program and immigration really changing it. And Republicans, you're a Democrat, Republicans have wanted this kind of bill specifically for a long, long time, and now they're not voting on what the Senate passed. I want to get your take on that and the role of President, former President Donald Trump in, in making this not come to order.
1: Look, Washington, D.C. is fundamentally failing the American people. It's become embarrassingly dysfunctional you know, in order for Congress to govern effectively, it has no choice but to govern on a bipartisan basis because that's the reality of divided government. Right. And Senate Democrats and Senate Republicans were negotiating in good faith to broker a compromise on border security, Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan. We finally agreed upon a compromise. And then Senate Republicans come out in opposition to the
0: very compromise that they negotiated, right? They were this close to passing, and, and how, right? And they were this yes. close to passing. I said they passed it. They didn't. They were this close to. They were gonna have a vote on it. Schumer called for a vote. I, on. I, mean,
1: I mean, the the Senate minority leader reversed his position in a matter of hours. Right. You know, he he was for the compromise before he was against it, and Speaker Johnson and the House Republicans refused to even bring the bill to a floor where, if it were brought to the floor, it would pass overwhelmingly on a bipartisan basis. And so the Republicans are sending a clear message that they're more interested in playing politics than actually solving problems like insecurity at the border.
0: What does this say, Congressman, for what's ahead until after the next session? I mean, do you, what, do you, what are your goals for this year? And can you actually produce anything? Because any bill that comes will be viewed by the candidate, Mr. Trump, that could be a victory for Mr. Biden and Republicans shouldn't have anything to do with that.
1: But the, the 118 Congress, which is led by House Republicans, is the least productive Congress in the recent history of the United States. It has passed the least number of legislation. Uh, and so I am pessimistic about the productivity of the present Congress. I feel like Congress is broken and it will remain broken yep until we have new leadership and, and I'm hopeful that Hakeem Jeffries from New York is gonna be the future Speaker of the House and is gonna repair what is broken in Washington, DC.
0: We have less than a minute left. I wanna to talk to you briefly about what's gonna happen with funding uh, Israel and Ukraine in this, in this next session. Uh, what's the status of that right now?
1: So the Senate is poised to pass legislation uh, that provides aid to Ukraine, Israel and Taiwan And if if Speaker Johnson brings it to the floor of the House, I'm confident that it would pass overwhelmingly on a bipartisan basis. Right now, the the ball is going to be in the court of Speaker Johnson. Is he willing to bring the legislation to the floor for a vote? And the answer is he should, because our allies desperately need support.
0: Um, People have been in a position, you know, this final question. People have been in a position where they're taking taking sides, you know, either Palestinians or Israelis. Yeah. you don't hear a lot of people saying the side here is not these groups, the side here is stop the war, stop uh, and have a ceasefire. Uh, what's your position on that part of it? Because you know much of the world wants that.
1: Well, I think everyone supports an end to the war, right? And, and you know, there, there's, there are two types of ceasefires. There's the type of ceasefire that would keep Hamas in power and keep the hostages in captivity. And then there's the type of ceasefire in which Hamas surrenders unconditionally and release the hostages. And I support a pro-hostage rather than a pro-Hamas ceasefire. That's my position. All right,
0: Congressman Richie Torres, appreciate your uh, appearance on Up Close again, and thank you for your insight, sir. Absolutely. All right, take care. And again, we thank Congressman Richie Torres for his insight and appearing on Up Close. Now to the FDNY bust of an illegal lithium-ion battery operation. The Fire Department of New York recovered 60 battery packs and hundreds of individual lithium-ion cells. They also found dozens of e-scooters and mopeds. Last year, lithium-ion batteries were blamed for 267 fires in New York City and 18 deaths. I talked to Fire Commissioner Laura Cavanaugh. She's become a kind of pied piper over this issue. She's on a mission to stop the use of uncertified and cheap, aftermarket lithium ion batteries. Commissioner, thank you for joining us. Good to have you here again.
2: Thanks for having me. All right, so
0: this was a very big week uh, in the FDNY history, I think, right? Absolutely. Tell us Tell us exactly what you found when you went into that place in Queens.
2: So we found an incredibly dangerous situation. I think that's the best way to put it. Not only dozens of bikes and batteries, batteries being built, um, but also illegal living conditions, so someone sleeping in the location where they were building these batteries, None of it legal, none of it certified, but most importantly, all of it very dangerous. You know, anyone sleeping there could have been killed, that building could have burned down, it could have affected uh, residences nearby.
0: And the difference here uh, between what is usually happening when you're trying to crack down on this is that these weren't, they were just selling them. They were manufacturing.
2: Yeah, they were doing the exact thing. I come on here and say, what is the most dangerous thing you could do? It's to tamper with them, it's to build them, it's to manufacture them, and it's to sell them, uh, you know, illegally. They were doing all of those things. Okay,
0: so you found this, They've been busted. What's going to happen to them, number one?
2: Well, one, they have criminal summons, so they're going to have to you know, go in front of a judge and face consequences. We also hope that they won't come back, but we will do regular re-inspections to make sure that's the case. And then we hope to get the word out. You know, we hope that by showing these locations, it tells other people not only that they shouldn't do this, but that you know, there were consequences if they do, that we will show up.
0: So I know you don't know this because you just found out about this, but if, if you had to guess, If they're doing business doing this, how many other places are doing the same thing?
2: I think we can't say, but I think it's safe to say as long as we are still finding these, we have to presume there's another one opening up as we shut one down. I will say the public has been very helpful, as have our uniform members in the field in reporting those locations, and that's helped. You know, It's why we were able to get to this one before there was a fire where we saw last year some of these caused the fires and we showed up. So we're getting ahead of it, but we need that continued cooperation.
0: We had on Saturday night uh, our Operation 7 Save a Life special, uh, our annual one, you were prominent in this because you talked about this very very issue um, the big companies we asked we got we got comments from them about this and they were all you know very well we don't like to do this stuff and we're, we're very cautious about it and we're trying to help in the situation what's been the response of the big businesses you know a small business was raided Uh, And that's where the big problem is now. But what about the bigger, bigger vendors?
2: So we asked them to come to the table. Most of them have, so I wanna give them credit for that. What we're still asking is that this is so difficult. We have done, think about this, thousands of educational events, inspections, we've passed laws, what we saw in this inspection is all illegal, and yet we're still seeing it happening. So what we're saying to the companies is, help us take that next step. If people are buying these bikes anyways, help us figure out, you know, can we send a letter To everyone who's ever bought one and tell them that they're dangerous whether or not we know exactly how or when they got them whether or not it was before we banned them Um, can they get creative on things like buyback programs you know how do we give the workers who seem to keep buying these because they need these bikes an ability to buy a safe bike so we've gotten them to the table i think the question now is making sure that we can all march forward in the same direction
0: and i know commissioner you don't have any intent intention to stop this kind of aggressive behavior because you have to be aggressive. You are aggressive. You're leading Mm -hmm. the country in this, certainly leading the city. Um, However, the numbers so far, 18 fires so so far from e-bikes, terrible but Mm -hmm. slower than last year's pace and no deaths Mm -hmm. after five weeks now. So that, maybe people are getting the message.
2: I certainly hope they're getting the message and I would say you know I go out and talk to people I'm hearing more that they know that this is dangerous but until we don't see these illegal bike shops popping up until we don't see the fires happening keep in mind a fire that wasn't deadly always could be right there were citizens in those buildings there were firefighters going into those buildings it's great that we didn't see deaths, but whenever there's a fire, there's a danger. So until we don't see the fires, we're gonna keep going.
0: Okay, so that means when you say, we're gonna keep going, that means you have a plan. Yeah. Okay, so I wanna find out exactly what the plan is. Or maybe you can announce it and make some news here. Yeah. On Up Close. Um, The state is getting involved, will get involved, should Mm -hmm. get involved, which of the three?
2: So all three, so I went to Congress, as I think you know a few weeks ago, we asked to ban these nationwide. We want them to do that, we're gonna keep asking them. The state took some of our bills here at the city and is passing these statewide. Again, important, the farther away these are, the harder they are to buy, the better it is. And then finally, and most importantly, we're introducing some new legislation with the city council that is going to go even further in enforcement of these uh, bikes and you know, trying to look at banning anything that's dangerous, in particular, trying to figure out how we keep people from bringing these illegal bikes into their residences. We see that continuing to happen even though it's illegal and we can't inspect there. Uh, so we have to get creative in how we keep these out of people's homes.
0: Just to be clear for our viewers, uh, you're not asking for all e-bike batteries to be banned. You're talking about the ones that are not scientifically passed and okayed and approved, and the ones that are illegal.
2: The ones that are exploding, right? We don't want anyone to have a device in their home that could kill them, period, full stop.
0: Okay, how many times have you been to, to Washington, three times?
2: Uh, twice on this topic and uh, I'll be going to Albany actually in a week hey. and we'll be going back to DC in the hopes that they are in to tell us that they're gonna pass this.
0: I counted when you first wrote the letter as one of those visits. That's but fair. Yes. I write a lot
2: of angry letters but then I follow up in person.
0: So there is some thought that maybe the CPSC uh, should be doing more to help stop this as well. Uh, are they open to that?
2: So they've been really helpful you know they've said to us that they need congressional action to move faster so we're trying to put that pressure on Congress to move a little bit faster, but I also say just something I want to keep your viewers to keep in mind. I think this will pass. I think we'll get these laws, but every single day people are buying these and bringing them into their homes, and I would implore people to keep that in mind. Even if we are able to eliminate these all in a month, there would be a month where people were buying explosive device and bringing it into their home. So I just implore your viewers to think about that before they purchase.
0: When you became commissioner of the FDNY, the biggest fire department in the northern hemisphere. Did you think that this would be the main concern?
2: Certainly not, but I will say I don't think you sign up to be fire commissioner or frankly to join a place like the fdny unless you like to expect the unexpected so i knew there would be something major i couldn't anticipate i didn't think it would be this but this is it and so we're going to go at it 100 percent
0: and how did how did the crews feel about this you know the, the rank and file
2: yeah i mean i think they as you can imagine they think is critically important i mean imagine being Not only going to one of these fires, imagine being in a fire and hearing that there's an e-bike behind you and it just erupted in flames. You've seen these videos, imagine being in that situation. You know, they most of all want to see these be eliminated. You don't want to face this in what are already really dangerous conditions.
0: Okay, let's talk uh, something non-bike, all right, non-e-bike, because fire safety is is broader Critical. than just the e-bikes and no question and we and you're a partner with this we're your partner in that and it, it's certainly been very effective mm-hmm. handing out you know hundreds of thousands of, of, of Kitta smoke detectors that have really saved lives how big is your fire safety campaign bikes aside
2: So, it's enormous, and part of that uh, we can thank you for. And I think you make a very good point, I'm very happy to talk about today, which is putting aside the bikes. The single greatest way you can save your life, no matter what the cause of fire, is to have a working smoke alarm. There's nothing more important you can do. There's nothing more important you can do for a friend, a family, a neighbor. And so, making sure that you have a working smoke alarm is the number one way to save your life. And I hope that people uh, can go check theirs today, right? Make sure they have one
0: good luck to you commissioner you Uh, you know we all depend on this there's no question about it and you're fighting the good fight so i appreciate it good luck thanks and we thank fdny commissioner laura kavanaugh for leading this charge and for trying to save lives one more note if you missed our annual operation seven save a life fire safety special last night on channel seven you can see it on our website or any of our platforms meanwhile when we come back on up close what a complicated presidential race both of the presumptive big party candidates in the news and not in ways they might like our political team weighs in let's get right to our political team abc news political director rick klein and political consultant hank scheinkoff and don't we need a political director and and someone (laughs) else (laughs) we really need something because i think this has been one of the weirdest weeks we can maybe remember and there have been a ton of them Uh, let's talk about this because it's a serious subject and Americans around the country have been talking about age and wisdom and when your memory goes and are we having candidates who are too old to be for president to run for president or become president. And look what we've what we've had. And the press conference that happened on Thursday night. Rick Klein, let's start with you. What did you think of it um, and what does it mean going forward?
3: Well, I, I think the special counsel's report and then and then the president's response blows a conversation wide into the open that probably is long overdue. It should have been had by Democrats six months, a year plus ago, and frankly, is a conversation that Americans have all the time, just quietly and usually not about people in public life. The question of whether someone is able to serve uh, because of their age and because of any kind of uh, appear- appearances of mental decline. And I just don't know how you can avoid the subject now that it's in the special counsel's report. You can question the author's intent. You can talk about his political affiliations. You can suggest that he's being mean somehow by pointing out some of it. But it is undeniable and it is out there. And it's a topic that, that should be and needs to be addressed, uh, just as we see the president conducting himself on a regular basis. And as we have two men, one in his late 70s, one in his early 80s, who are the likeliest party nominees.
4: Hank, what did you think when you saw it? I felt terrible for Joe Biden um, having to having to actually justify whether or not he remembered the date of his son's death is beyond imagination, and he must have been mortified in the public space. But politically, all this did was take into the public sphere what many younger people, according to publicly published polls, have been talking about. Yeah. Is he fit to serve at this age? And so where do you go with that?
0: How does one even begin to go with that? Rick? What you said a few, a few seconds ago it implied that this is way too late to be doing this. Uh, and you're right, people yeah, look, have been talking about this. It's been out there, no
4: question.
3: There's no front door to do anything about it. Uh, the only the only thing that could happen would be Joe Biden removing himself from the conversation. Quite literally, he's not getting any younger. So we know that. Uh, and there's a lot of suggestions in Democratic circles. Well, maybe there's a group that could take over. There's not, None of that will happen. He's going to win the Democratic primaries. He's winning 96, 97 percent of the vote in states the question will be whether he still views himself as fit to serve at Time come time for the convention and maybe beyond and if the answer to that is yes he's going to be the nominee and then he'll take it to the to the voters many of whom have already gotten to where the point that um that the special counsel got where they're questioning his age and uh, inability that's been apparent in public opinion polls for a long time the best the biden team can hope for is that's already baked into the cake and the difference will be that it'll be a matchup against someone else who's pretty old and has his own very severe vulnerabilities uh, regarding regarding a whole range of issues. Uh, that's the best case scenario for Joe Biden, because I, uh, other than just doing it every day and looking more young and vigorous and, and having a better memory, there was just no way to rebut this part of public perception.
0: Right. Hank, you know, listen, uh, people of a certain age, you're going to forget names, you forget everything. But, the, you know, what experts say, if you forget your keys, that's natural. If you forget
4: what your keys are there to do, then you got problems well you know this is a new, this is not a new conversation we're having in this country we had the conversation about eisenhower we had the conversation about reagan mm-hmm. now we're having the conversation about biden we really should be talking about trump rick is entirely correct though this will get down to who's worse trump's trump's ethical problems or biden's forgetful problems that's a decision that people are going to have to make at a time when everybody with a brain knows we're as close to World War III as we've been since the Cuban Missile Crisis. One more one more uh, question about this, and then we'll, we'll move on to something else.
0: But, Rick, you know, people ha- are not looking at Trump's speeches like they used to. But if you look carefully at him, he's also having problems with some of his memory.
3: No question. And look, I, I think everyone in public life makes mistakes. Uh, no. I, you know, I've I've been on TV long enough that I'm sure I've flubbed a name or two and uh, you know, I'm not I'm not their age yet. So I you know I think people are willing to give a certain amount of, of forgiveness and grace. And I do think the detail, so the suggestion that he doesn't remember is you know, Biden doesn't remember when his son died is is, is offensive and outrageous. But it, it is affirmed in the public consciousness by a series of other kind of smaller mistakes that, yeah, it does seem like the guy is forgetting stuff. And it's just kind of a human level part of it. And, and yes, people will say and should say the same and ask the same questions around Donald Trump. Nikki Haley is asking about both of them as she tries to find any kind of a toehold in her campaign. But I think the country needs to grapple with the fact that these two men, as old as they are, are going to be the nominees. Yeah.
0: Let me get right to a uh, local race, Hank, uh, and before sure. we, we run out of time here. Let's talk about uh, the New York's third district on Long Island right. uh, taking the place of uh, the disgraced Mr. Santos. Uh, Tom Suozzi versus Mazzee uh, Pillan. Uh, it's a tighter sure. than we thought race. It's happening on Tuesday, the special
4: election. Uh, what's your take Correct. on it? I think Swazi is likely to win. Um, why? The appearance of Mazi Mazi Pilip in public with him is uh, stark and difficult. She's not been specific about anything. He's a known quantity. And yes, people are angry about Israel. They're angry about uh, the migrants. They're angry about things that, you know, frankly, they should be angry about Mm -hmm. in that district. They're still not likely to run away from Swazi. She's going to do exceptionally well. But the real tragedy here is that Swazi, my hunch, between the independent expenditure and what he spent in that campaign himself and what he's raised, will somehow top $15 million. That is an extraordinary comment upon our inability to make choices and our need to just beat the hell out of someone in a political campaign and what it costs. All right. That's the uh, that's the centerpiece of what's happening in that election. Rick, real quickly, what
0: does it mean, do you think, for the uh, for the for the Congress in terms of the numbers?
3: Well, first, if Democrats don't win, it's going to be a 14 alarm fire about how you'd lose George Santos's seat in a Biden advantage district uh, in, in, in suburbs that have a history of voting Democratic. Uh, but, yeah, the Democrats do take it. It shaves by one, that very tenuous Republican majority. Recall, yep. they just in the last couple of days, the Republicans couldn't get enough votes for their Israel package or even for an impeachment proceeding that they brought forward. So they're watching these numbers very carefully to, to see what happens Tuesday.
0: Rick, Hank, thank you once again, as always, thank for you. your insights. We'll see you next time. We'll be right back. Thanks. And that's going to do it for this edition of Up Close. Tiempo with Joe Torres is next. If you missed any of today's programs, no worry. I'll post today's segments on my Facebook page tomorrow. And, by the way, you can watch the show on our new podcast on any and all of our digital platforms. Thank you all for watching. I'm Bill Ritter, and for all of us here at Channel 7 Eyewitness News, we wish you health and peace, and let's take care of each other.